0: Welcome to People's Church Podcast. How was your week? Challenging enough? Are you in sort of a cruise mode right now where everything's going pretty good and seems well managed and you feel like you're kind of at the top of the pile, not under it? That can change quick, we all know. I want to talk about making our lives sacred. It's an interesting word, sacred. Sacred just means something that's touching God. You can't actually call something sacred unless it's somehow touching God, unless God is involved within that. And I want to talk about how do you make your life sacred? Because that's really, what he wants us to do with what we've received as Christians. When we receive Jesus Christ, we received the gift of righteousness, but now we're to work that out in our lives in turning common things sacred. See, our life without God is just common. When he comes in, he puts a touch on things in our life. And our talents can become sacred, our gifts can become sacred, our relationships can become sacred. They're touching God. They find their roots. God is being represented within it. His nature is being repeated within that. You go through health issues. God can take even the evil things that we go through in life. And he says, I'll turn them to good. That means with his touch, he can return and make them what they're meant to be. They were always meant to have a sacredness about them. There's nothing in your life that's beyond the touch of God to turn around or to make sacred. But it takes him to do it. Ephesians 4.15 in the Message Bible says, God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything, everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. That being the case, that means if he is truly the source of everything you do in your marriage, in your friendships, in your talents, and all the things that you've been given to steward, all the resources of your life, if he is the source of everything you do, then those things become sacred. They have a touch of God upon them. Often, we do the opposite, and this is kind of what sin does, is it takes what is sacred and it makes it common. It takes your sexuality, which is sacred in God's eyes, and it will make it common. It takes your money, which is sacred in God's eyes, but it makes it common. The Christian's life is taking the great things of God and how we're designed and the things that we have and the opportunities that we live out every day and allowing the touch of God to make them sacred. You see, we all share a common experience in life. You have not experienced something that somebody else has not experienced. Everybody has experienced losses. Everybody has experienced the challenges that come that life just brings to us every day. Unseen or, and, you, and they whack you and you, you get hit with it and you have maybe a week like I've had or you just have different things that come your way. Everybody has common experiences. But not everybody has common responses or reactions to it. As Christians, you have an opportunity to take that which is common amongst men and women of any nation. And that is when the things come into your life that challenge you, that can hurt you, that are opportunities for good. You can keep the touch of God away or you can let the touch of God come. You can invite it, you can present it. Think of it as an altar, an altar in which you present the things of your life and all of the things, the good, the bad, the evil, all of it. And you place it on that altar for the touch of God so that he can make them sacred. In essence, he's not gonna get you from getting, keep you from getting stung in life. You're gonna get stung in life. In fact, he promised you would. He just said he'll be with you through it. He said, I'll take what happens evil in you and and if you just love me and walk according to my will, I'll take that and I'll make it something good good if things remain evil in our life if they remain in positions of just commonness where it's disastrous it's destructive it it has stolen part of us that we haven't recovered it has taken from us the life uh, that is meant to be lived which is in full that's what Jesus wants if it's stolen from you it's because you have kept it in the common position God wants to make those things sacred. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised about the fiery trials that have come among you to test you. These are not strange happenings. More or less, they're common. Everybody gets them. They're not strange. He says, don't be surprised about these things. You and I experience these things. Sitting amongst us right now, it's fresh for many uh, of you. You, you you, You've had loss this week. You've maybe had loss in recent months. You can even make your losses sacred. You can take your gifts, your talents, your wiring, your resources, everything about you, and present it on an altar for the touch of Christ so that it might become sacred. Set apart for Him, with, that can only happen with His touch. Sacredness, if you look it up, you check the definition. It has to be touching God, it has to be something outside of God. It's not secular, it's sacred. You have a lot to present on an altar. And those things need the touch of God. Have you surrendered it to the altar? Look at how Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 9 to start with. We now have this light shining in our hearts, meaning Jesus, but we have ourselves, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You don't have the power to turn things in your life, everything into this sacred response. You cannot do that by your power. You can only surrender them to God who by his power will do all of these things. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed or confused. But not driven to despair. He's talking about, we experience all these realities like you experience. We get it. But here's our response. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. Oh, how good is he. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I almost used a different version for that particular thing, but it, I, I had to not use it because every time I use that version, a certain song comes to my head. So it gets, here, here, here's, here's what the version says. We get knocked down, but we get up again. So when I read it in that version, you know what song plugs and plays, right? And it's like you try and hit the pause button. Pause. No, keep going. Just like it is right now. For you too. But the truth of it is, that's exactly the Christian experience. You're going to get knocked down. But how do you get up again? By your own willpower? No, we already found out. It's got to be God's power that does this. Paul goes directly and says, he's the only one. It's his power. Not from ourselves. You may have been knocked down in relationships in your life. You may have been burned in a marriage. You may have been burned in friendship. And you get knocked down. But I'll tell you that you can get up again. Not by your own power. Because you'll leave a piece of you behind. What God will do is take that broken piece of you, and he will not only heal that, he will make it sacred because it will take on the very nature of his own self. He will build a piece of Christ into you. Then he says, that is why we never give up. If I ever had a give up week, this was it. Then the scripture, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. He says, You look around, and yes, everything is deteriorating. Not just your bodies, but everything around you has this deterioration going on. We watch it in our culture. Deterioration, deterioration. He's saying, yep. But your spirit can be renewed every day, made new, added to a little bit more of Christ, one more piece of his nature, worked on, put into you. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Oh, that almost sounds like he's out of touch, doesn't it? Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Oh, that's what he's talking about. He's saying the payoff for your present troubles is so exponentially greater than the trouble itself. You're going to go through this, it's common. You're going to experience this, this is common but the payoff is huge when you let the touch of Christ touch that part, when you surrender it on that altar. And that's why he could say, we don't look at the troubles. we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. There's an Old Testament story that reveals, I think, a cool truth about the sacredness of your life. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 27. Israel, you may be aware of, was once a nation of 12 tribes. There came a time where that division came and there were two tribes in the south, two and a half, and the balance in the north and the northern and southern split. The kingdom split. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Israel was in called the Northern Kingdom. In the Northern Kingdom, they just had one disastrous idolatry result after another and kings that just really pursued the power and, uh, and basically, you know, all, all that you could possibly think is bad. In the Southern Kingdom, which was the line of David, it was sort of like, you know, you got a good king a little bit and he did pretty good, but then he had this failing. And then you'd add some really bad kings Well, there was one guy that that doesn't bring anything bad up about. And we find this story in in 27 verse uh, 1 through uh, 9, I believe. And in that particular story, his name is Jotham. King Jotham comes to the king, uh, to to the role as king in Judah. And it says about him, That he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then further on is this verse, verse six. And it says, King Jotham became powerful because he was careful to live in obedience to the Lord his God. His father before him was Uzziah. He was a good king. Till late in life, he really screwed up. The king after him, his son, Jotham's son, was a horrible king. Opened the nation up to all the worst kinds of idolatry, sacrificing children on altars and all this kind of, as dark as it gets. But there's Jotham right in the middle. Have you ever just been in the middle? You know, we don't look backward and we don't look forward. Take in your present. What is your opportunity? What made Jotham so special in this? How was he able to be that kind of king? And, and he's, not, he's not one of these headliners. He only gets about nine verses. The other ones are getting like chapters. But I love this phrase. He became powerful because he was careful. To live in obedience to the Lord his God. Now you say, but I've lived in disobedience. I know I've done wrong, I know I've done wrong. No, see the obedience says you gotta let the touch of Christ come and make sacred. You say, but my sins, the touch of Christ, because of the blood of Christ, removes those. As far as the east is from the west, they are placed into a forgotten zone by God. Where do you need the touch of Christ? Because power, true power, the, see, power in itself is a word that needs context. And the context of Paul's writings is that it only comes from God. In the context here, we find that it comes again from God because he is faithful to God so he grows in power. Then there's power from sources that are corrupt to start with and then Certainly power does corrupt. It's only when we surrender our lives to Christ that power will not corrupt you. And then that power comes from him. And we find that in this guy's case because of his faithfulness, which we brought out last weekend, because of his obedience, because he was careful to live in it, because he allowed himself to be fully engaged with the touch of God on his life. He became powerful. You want to become a powerful dad? You want to become a powerful mom? You want to become a powerful uh, sister or brother? You want to become a powerful husband or a powerful wife? It takes the power of God. It takes the touch of Christ. This week, I do have the whiteboard up here for a purpose. We've already used this word, and we all have this common journey. And then we have the opportunity to turn our common journey into a sacred, God-anointed, powerful journey. And that comes because between those two words is the word surrender. You've heard it in the songs today. So much so can you make this transition that it's required of you as a Christian to do so. Because everything in the Christian life is going through transition. He asks us all the time, he's saying, I want you to actually to pray for your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. Hold it, that is not the common response to enemies. I want you to love those who hate you. Love them. That's not the common response. I want you to forgive those that hurt you. But that's not the common response. At best, it must be measured out according to the person's reaction and their change. We're not on a normal walk as Christians, we're not on a normal journey. We are on a journey that goes far deeper than that, and it is all countercultural. It's never common. You've been called to live a sacred life, a Christ touched life. Listen to this scripture in Philippians 4, in verse 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Hold it. He's saying, In anything, I want you to rejoice, not about the thing itself, but rejoice in the Lord and don't let anything take that from you. Don't let the the losses, don't let the pains, don't let the shortcomings, don't let your own sins, don't let, you know, don't treat what I put in your life in giftings and talents and treasures. Don't let that become common. I want you to rejoice when others won't rejoice. When others are controlled by circumstances, I want you to rise above circumstances and have a rejoicing in your life. I will say it again. Rejoice. And then let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness in this world doesn't fit. Hard response. Protective response. But he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. What does the all mean? Does that mean all the the good? Does that mean all do I have to include the bad in there? What What does all mean? Oh, it means all. Just like your mom said, you're gonna finish your plate. Eat it all. The Lord is near. That's a reference to his second coming. You know, a lot of people are caught up with that today, and it's it's okay. Jesus is going to return again. And he'll do so in his time. That's when the father's going to say, wind it up. It'll have its time. He's saying because the Lord is near, because you have a sense that Christ is coming again, and that could be any time, because you have a sense of this, I want you to rejoice in everything. I want your gentleness. I want your gentleness to be absolutely given to all. I want it to be so evidence that nobody misses it. And you know what, in a world that's more, more becoming hard and harsh and broken, and broken into, into little groups and, and into the fights and into the disagreements and into the great gulfs between people, whether it be in the family units or whether it be in political units or whether it be in your business or whether it be in your friendships, when you see all of this brokenness that's going on, he's saying, I want you in the middle of all of that not to buy into the common thing, which would be that, yeah, you get protective. Yeah, you're going to get hard. Yeah, you're going to protect yourself. Yeah, you're going to get what's due. You're going to make sure they get what's due. Now, he said, I want your your, your, your gentleness to be evident. Tall. That's why it can't be your power, you see. Then he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He's saying, I don't want you anxious about anything. Because the Lord is near. Because He is returning. Because you're aware of that, and that is your, you are looking forward to that as the culmination. There will be justice meted out in a second coming. And there will be the opposite. It will be the catching home of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Because you see, when you don't take the common road, you're going to experience things that that common road do not have in their litany of experience. You are going to experience things that can only be experienced on the sacred road. The sacred road will bring you a peace that has no explanation or understanding because the fact is is that it doesn't come from circumstances. It comes simply because of the sacredness and His touch upon your life and because you're very aware that this is a living Lord and He will return. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If ever there's a day and age when you need your hearts and your minds guarded, it is now. But if you're the only guard there, I'm sorry, that's not enough. Because you will choose not to forgive. You will choose not to love the enemy. You will choose the opposite of what you should be as as a follower of, of, of your Lord. Only Christ and his power that you must live faithfully to will guard your hearts and your minds. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's he talking about? He's saying there's a whole different track of thinking you can choose. You don't have to be led by the anxiety thoughts. You don't have to be led by those angry thoughts. You don't have to be led by those broken, hurt-feeling thoughts. You don't have to be led by those things. You will experience those things, but you don't have to be led by them. You have other tracks of thinking that are available to you. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying just be faithful. Oh, back to that word. Whatever you've seen in me, I want you to repeat that. You've seen where I have uh, paid this price or where I've loved the enemy. Repeat that. Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We need peace. It only comes on the sacred path. That's where it's to be found. And when we keep things from his touch, we do not have the ability to have that peace. We must surrender those things on an altar and say, Lord, these things are stealing my peace. They're robbing me. Speaking of the last days in Matthew 24, some scriptures, Jesus in chapter 24 of Matthew Talks a lot about how conditions will deteriorate up until his second coming. And he says in verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. That is just the best advice. When you see things deteriorating in this world or tragedies or things that happen, wars and earthquakes and all of the things that are part of being on this globe, he's saying, don't be alarmed. These things must happen. The end still isn't here. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against nation, uh, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are from the beginning, are just the beginning of birth pains. He's saying, it's not my second coming. He's saying, "This this is common. This is what's going to happen. And it will, yes, gradually it will increase and it will go, but these are only the initial beginnings. Then he speaks to us about our experience as Christians. And he says, then you will be handed over as Christians to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. A great apostasy. Don't be deceived. Many will come in my name and say, I'm this. And then he goes directly to it and says, there will be a great apostasy. And they will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. And this is a great concern today. The love of most, believers. He's talking about believers. The love of most will grow cold. Oh. Without the touch of Christ. And when you are living in a world of increase of wickedness and evil. Your heart is at huge risk for just growing cold because of the environment of the growth of evil around us and in our world. And you will see a change in, the, in, in, in how Christians' hearts are either passionate during that time and trusting and at peace because they've let the sacredness uh, touch of Jesus touch these common things in our life and or it's going to be... We get alarmed and we get focused on all the wrong stuff and we're not thinking the different track that we can think. Instead, we are caught up with different things. Deceptions come in. Our love will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved from what? He's not talking about heaven or hell here. What he's talking about here is simply about you're gonna be saved from the things and the tragedy of this world and you will live differently. You don't have to be caught up with this stuff. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So he's basically saying, don't get caught up with all of this because if you do, your heart will grow cold. That's what's going to happen. And then he says this. Yes, be excited about my return. But that is something that should put you to work. To work in the kingdom, to work for the gospel. Because that is what is going to be the great sign and then the end will come. Now, what does the whole world mean in this? What does it mean to all nations? We don't, we don't know how tightly you know, defined that is. We can't find that tight definition for that. Uh, we can't tell you when that's gonna happen or, or somebody might say, oh, we've got one more thing to go. You, they don't know, only God knows. He's just calling us to faithfulness to the gospel. He's calling us to f- be faithful in it. And he says, you must bring everything in your life to me so that you can have the touch of Christ. Bring all your hurts. Bring all, bring all the things. Bring everything. Let me touch it and make it sacred because that will keep your heart really, really strong. It will keep it passionate. And then what I want you to do is be a part of my work and get the gospel out because that's what you are here for. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Well, that's really cool. On the same kind of thinking, he's saying, don't let anything get in the way of your hope, your trust. This is not a, I hope so. It's a trusting hope, total trust. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope, to the trust we affirm. For God can be trusted. To keep his promise. What promise? All of them. Every one of them. I will return. Let us think of ways, look at this, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What's he saying? Be a part of each other's process from common to sacred. Encourage those in surrender of everything in life to the sacredness. Model it yourself. Work hard at this because everything in your flesh and all about you is going to want to fight that process of taking the common things of life, and making them sacred. If it hurts, it's hard to let go of those things. If it is that you have treasures outside of Christ that your heart is locked into, and they're not sacred, it only has your touch upon them, he says that's very hard to let go of. There was a rich young man who came up to Jesus one day and said, Lord, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what do the commandments say? And, And the guy listed off a bunch of them. And said, I have fulfilled all of these. What am I still missing? He's saying, go and sell what you've got. He looked inside his heart. He saw where his trust was placed. He saw where he had put all of his hope. He saw what wasn't sacred, but what was common. And he had taken the advantages of his blessings in life and made them common, kept them for his own use, his own lordship. And Jesus went and touched it and he said, go get rid of that and then come follow me. Wow. It says that the young man, he didn't present an argument. His heart had been exposed. He knew the accuracy of Jesus' words and he knew why he was being asked to do that. But it says he, he literally did this. This is what he did. It says he turned and walked away sad. Rejoice! Oh, he could have been a rejoicer. He could have been at peace. But he wouldn't give up what was common under his rulership and let it become sacred under Christ. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another especially now That the day of his return, there you see it? The second coming. That the day of his return is drawing near. He's saying the more that you have a sense that, that Jesus is drawing near, the more that that day is getting closer to his return. You need to not neglect being together. You need the encouragement. You need the processing of people to take life and encourage you from common to sacred. You need to be together to reinforce that journey. but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. All that has happened to you, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, must not be left common under your directorship or lordship. Not your hurts, not your advantages, not your blessings, not the things you consider cursings. They must find themselves under the lordship of Christ, and that's how they become sacred because the touch of Christ is what makes things sacred. Sacred for anything to be sacred must be attached to God. How do I know if my life is sacred or not? Am I turning around and walking away sad from the challenge Of my Christian faith? Because of things that have gone on? Because I still like my own ownership and my own lordship over things? These are big questions. They're daily. So if you've had a hell of a week, hell of a life. Let God touch it and make it sacred. And let heaven have ownership. You will find yourself with a peace that cannot be understood by the circumstances. You will find yourself with a boldness and hope that will cause you to be courageous in the middle of very challenging times. Will you welcome the sacred touch that only he can bring? Your history can become sacred because he can take evil and turn it to good. He can. Let's stand together for a moment of prayer. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you that opportunity to do so now. And it would be just a simple prayer that you can borrow from me. Speak the words in your heart. And He definitely is ahead of you on this game. He's already read every thought you'll ever have. So this is your day. Here's the challenge. You're the rich young ruler. You're the rich young guy. If he's touching your heart today, you have a full on decision to make. Your life either hits the sacred trail or it stays common. He's called you to the sacred trail. He's prepared heaven for you. Receive him. You would utter a prayer something like this. Let's bow our heads. You would say, Father in heaven. Thank you that you have a plan for my life. And that plan is that I would be sacred because of your touch. I accept your son Jesus as my savior. He can save me because he has shed his own blood and his own body was broken in my place. I ask you to forgive all sins in my life. So I receive you now. I know I'm going to have a wrestling match between the common and the sacred in my life in the choices that I will make. But I thank you for the grace of God which will never, ever be overthrown in my life. And that upon that grace, I can choose to make common things sacred. Teach me, disciple me. In Christ's name, we pray. If you're a believer today, you might want to pray the last part of that prayer. Oh God, too much about my life is still touching the common zone. I'm slow to forgive, I'm very quick to be angry. Lord I struggle with these things I know the common well but I have tasted the sacred touch and I want that sacred touch in these areas I invite your touch I place on the altar the things that I trust above you I place on the altar the things that have been a part of my life the hard things and I ask for your touch In Christ's name, we pray. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572, or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.